Millennials are grossly underestimated. Their jobs aren't their whole world. They have options, they have the internet. Job satisfaction and strength of relationships, there ain't no app for that. Education is not a mechanical system, it's a human system. Any kind of work that's on some level predictable, then that's gonna be susceptible to artificial intelligence and, and machine learning. And that job, where you go to a building and you stay there 40 hours, and then you do that again for 40 years and then you retire, that's gone. Technology magnifies our leverage and increases our creativity. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Please wait as your individualized operating system is initiated. This is the Powerful Nonsense Podcast, guiding you through the madness of modern life. Now, here are your hosts, Wayne Ingram and Jem Yildiz. Sup, Powerful Nonsenses? Hello. We are back in your ear holes for another episode of the Powerful Nonsense Podcast, the Millennial Podcast. A podcast by millennials for millennials about millennials. Just in case you didn't get it. Just in case it didn't sink in. So, I am Jemmy Ordis. That's right, you are. And I am Wayne Ingram. <laughs> oh, ever the professionals. Ever the professionals. Um, so, we're going to slightly change up the format a little bit today because we've got a couple of stories. That it's basically a stories, plural, not singular, <laughs> stories of the week episode because we've got two stories that we think will be good conversation. So, we're, we're foregoing the other segments... This week, and we're just gonna, we're just, it's, we're just gonna riff off these two stories essentially. So we're gonna be talking about whether or not the interview process for millennials is completely flawed now. If if we're so out of whack with the old system, with what millennials want, that we should completely restructure the interview process for jobs. And then also we're gonna finish off the episode talking about whether or not. Adults need adopting. <laughs> Millennial adults, do we just need adopting? <laughs> but we'll we'll hit that in the second half of the episode. Uh, so, there's been a couple of articles about this whole interview thing. Uh, one from Forbes uh, and one from Leaders Hip IQ Leadership IQ. <laughs> You know when you like completely misread a hashtag? I was like, leaders hip IQ? What what? That doesn't make any sense. Leaders hip You know when like you completely misread a hashtag, or have you seen those memes where like, somebody circles the hashtag and they're like, someone didn't think that through. Oh yeah, like when there's swear words in hashtags and uh-huh. stuff. Oh, sorry guys. That's all right. Uh, so from leaders hip IQ, <laughs> 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 they were talking about this. Uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, <clears throat> get it together, Wayne. Be professional. Um, Yes, and they've been talking about um, whether or not the whole interview process needs to be more emotionally in tune. Yeah, so they sort of said that actually a lot of the time the interviews are not really focused around the attitudes. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about on the last episode, this idea that the best way to find good millennial candidates is actually to find out about them rather than Mm -hmm. actual 
the accomplishments you've got a lot of organizations who are saying like we don't care so much about the actual grade you got at university but actually what they're starting to see is that millennials do care about ethics mm-hmm. they they want to they want to join companies that actually care about them and so actually yeah. what they're saying is let's switch up the kind of questions we're asking millennials and let's actually start thinking about how do we find out where they are in terms of their emotions what's going to motivate them and they're saying there was a, a stat they threw out they're saying that 40% of 46% of new employees will fail within the eight, first 18 months of hire which kind of relates back to some of the other stuff we've spoke about around why millennials are job hopping every 2 years mm-hmm. So it's all coming together, and I think uh, companies are picking this up. It costs a lot of money for companies to keep having to rehire new staff. So actually, they're saying, what if we start asking more sort of questions that kind of will pull out the attitudes of a millennial rather than, again, just relying on what grade they might have got at university? Because also, right, I think it's got to the point now where the interview process is so samey all the time for most job positions that many people have kind of learned to game the interview process, right? We kind of know what employers want to hear. We kind of know what sort of thing. I mean, obviously, that doesn't mean that you're, 100% of your job interviews are going to be a success because there are other variables at play and things. But we kind of know what what interviewers want to hear. Like, you know, I'm hardworking. I arrive on time. I care about my work. What's your strengths and weaknesses? My weaknesses, I just care too much. Yeah. And you look up to the ceiling. I'm just such a perfectionist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and stuff like that, right? And, and we kind of all know that shit. And, and, and so when, I think in the interview process, they never get the real you anyway. And I think it's so much harder when you start asking more emotional, emotional questions. Um, Oh, that's my favorite one is always like the, so why do you want to work for us? And it's kind of like in the back of the head, it's like, cause I need some money. <laughs> yeah. But that is, it, that would make it open up so much better. Like I'd rather someone say that to me. Like that's when, like I said, when I go speak to my employees, I will try to kind of get that out of them. I want to know if they say, look, I'm a uni and I just want a couple hours a week so I can go out and get lashed on the weekend. Great. I'd rather know that uh-huh. than I know the kind of what they're, are they long-term? Probably not. Well, if they're at uni for another three years, that's great. But that is really ideally how you want to find out about someone. Someone might be like, look, I see myself, I need to gain some experience in this field. So I see this is a great place to start. Great. Okay. At least you kind of have helped the manager understand where you're going to be. And I think, mm-hmm. I think the quicker we could actually get to that being truthful, I think, like you say, it's so flawed, the interview process, that it is false completely. And then you've got these, that's why a lot of companies obviously have probation periods now. It's because yeah. like, well, with hopefully within three months, I'm going to see some cracks in your personality. Because in the first week, you're going to be like the best bloody worker on earth. So mm-hmm. um, should we share some of the questions actually that they, well, one of them actually, they said that you should ask, or these are a list of sort of questions that will actually help you find Just out about handful. people's. Just a handful. Handful. So here's one of them. It's a, uh, Wayne, I'm going to ask this to you. So. Ooh. Could you tell me about a time when you doubted your abilities? Well, I never doubt my abilities. You're fired. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't even been hired yet. (laughs) I'm hiring you so So I can fire you. (laughs) Um, Okay, that is is a good question. So just say you were in an interview, say for a PA role, and then that person's come at you and said, okay, could you tell me about a time when you've doubted your abilities? Uh, Now, I'm not actually being funny here, but... I actually legitimately am struggling to think of a time because I know because I know what my strengths are and so I I 
I do play to those where I can and I don't like I am not a sporty person, for example. So if you want me to do like, for example, like with acting work, I tend to avoid physical theatre based jobs because I'm not. Well, <laughs> you know, firsthand, Jim, how unflexible I am yeah. in the gym. Right. So I avoid stuff like that. So. So I guess that might be a point where I doubted my abilities, but it's not really a doubt because I'm fully aware that those aren't aren't my strengths. So I do, because I play in that, I kind of stay in my lane, right? I don't really have many times where I'm doubting because I'm aware where I fall down. See, something like for me, if that was asked to me, I'd say, look, some mornings you just wake up and you're having a bad day and you just think, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this because that was how I'd feel. I'd be like, I think people on a regular basis doubt their ability when you go to do something. And so I would just be honest and say, look, there's mornings where I'm sure you show up and say, where you think, am I the right person for this role? And I think that's normal to question yourself. Mm. But actually, I think turning up and actually doing the best job you can, often, most of the time you doubt it, you end up getting through it. Actually, I can tell you a time where I doubt, and it's a regular one for me, when I doubt my abilities, is auditions. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time, because I'm kind of like, don't know if this is the right casting for me. Do I have what it takes to deliver what they want? Um... Am I prepared enough? That's often my one. Have I prepared? Even though I have prepared, but I'm like, have I prepared enough? That's often. Which, again, is a great thing for a a manager to hear because then they say, okay, he understands the importance of preparing. So if he had a meeting coming up, he would know that in order to have less doubt in what he's doing, that he's going to prepare really well for it because he knows how important that is. And I think that's all really people want from interviews is see cracks and say, okay, who are you? Mm. And I think that actually asking these sort of questions is going to get you to the person a lot clearer it's just again it's as long as it's not delivered i'm i'm actually like reading a book at the moment it's called exit exit interviews and it's this idea of actually the best time to actually interview staff or if someone's looking to leave your company that last meeting you have can actually be a great benefit to your company because it kind of finds out that's where people are like well i've got no commitment to you anymore mm-hmm. i'm already telling you i'm leaving so you can actually extract a load of data from them on terms of why they're leaving, what's going wrong, which staff members rub them up the wrong way. It's, it's just a good way of actually pulling how to improve your business. And also the whole book is about actually using exit um, exit interviews as a way to actually keep staff on for longer. And I think it's, it's so important to kind of get to that sort of emotional connection with the person that it works for you so that you can actually know how to improve your business. Mm. And I do think, and I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, I do feel like... And obviously this isn't always completely possible, but I do think it should be strived for. I do think if you're in a workplace where it feels like a family environment because you know each other on a deeper, deeper level, on an emotional level, as opposed to a transactional business level, yeah. which of course, obviously that emotional level stuff does bring in a few problems because you want to be objective where you can. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that I think staff find it harder to leave somewhere, right? If, if you're talking from a purely we want to retain staff, which obviously, given what we're talking about, that is obviously an objective, right? We want to hire staff and we want to keep staff um, because millennials are leaving like 18 months into most jobs at the minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to retain staff, you want to create that family environment. So one of the best ways to do that is have a deep have emotional conversations not as like heated emotional conversations but just like talking about how things make you feel about how certain things are frustrating you yeah, or about you how you feel at the moment yeah or even the opposite like the things that actually you really enjoy working on 
Because, I mean, that, that's also the process to actually having a job you enjoy, where you get to say, actually, um, I know that I don't get to do this very often, but I actually did really enjoy working on that. So if you've got any more stuff like that, please send it my way. And so long as the employer is listening, goes back to what we were talking about last week, uh, so long as the employer is listening and actually acting upon that, then they're more likely to keep the staff. It's when they go, okay, great, and then do nothing about it. that actually, And that actually is when the employee kind of goes, well, actually, I don't feel content. I don't feel listened to. I don't feel valued. And that's when they're more likely to go because they're like, actually, you've you've disregarded my quote feelings <laughs> i'm hurt we were talking about this the other day like i also think not just like actually the exit and the onboarding interview and the hiring interview but actually i do think that employers should be scheduling in at minimum a sixth a sixth twice annual biannual <laughs> a biannual meeting so every six months with each member of staff just to sit down even if it's just for 15 minutes and just be like right how are you getting on what are your pain points? What are you enjoying? What can I do to make your job better? Yeah. And, you know, obviously some people are going to be coming and give me a pay rise. And obviously that's not always possible and you can talk that out. But but I do think if employers are actually taking the time to do that, again, I feel like your employers are going to stick around longer because they feel like they're being listened to. So somebody listening, though, what if their manager's like, yeah, they know their manager's busy, got no time at all. Is it okay you just accept that you're going to leave that role or is there anything you can do to actively encourage a discussion like that? Because I know for you, you come from the, the point of view of it. It's not your responsibility as the employee to get your manager to sit and talk to you. But then <laughs> I think a lot of the time, I don't think many managers will do it. So it takes a... But then but then my, my argument would be, because I, I get very aggy about the, the manager title role because I do think... Sadly, a lot of people are there just in the manager role just because they've been with the company for a long time and actually don't really know how to manage um, in a really cynical uh, perspective. But I, I do think that is true for a significant proportion of, of quote, managers. Um, but but I, but if if you are managing staff, right, if you are managing staff, your job is to manage staff. That's That's the job. I manage staff. If you are managing staff and you're not scheduling meet scheduling in meetings with staff, which is the resource you are in charge of, if you're not checking in with that resource to check that it's ticking over quite nicely, are you even managing though, bro? Ooh. That would be my argument, because that's your job. So for people listening, they just I always I that. always think it is not the employee's job to manage the manager. But I think a lot of the time a manager is not like a HR manager. They've got like a hundred other like for me. But I've they're got, still your resource. Yeah, they're obviously something. But then I just think I'm just trying to think of what someone could do practically, or do they just go, Okay, I'll just leave because my manager's never gonna have time to chat to me. Well, get that if 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 managers aren't actively I mean, I understand what you're saying. I still don't think that it is the employee's job to do this. But if the manager is not actively managing the staff, which they should be, then then it does fall to the employee to then have that conversation. Mm. But it shouldn't fall to the employee first. The manager should be making the effort. Mm. Then I just think, and this is just my attitude with the job, I'm slightly anti-authoritarian if you haven't picked that up on the uh, podcast 
in the years that you've been listening, if you've been listening for a long time. But I think then the employee goes, okay, fine, I will have this conversation. You have the conversation. If they either refuse to have the conversation or don't listen, then just fucking leave because they don't value you. Yeah. They're taking you for fucking granted. They're milking you for everything that you're worth. If If your boss is not willing to listen to what you have to say, fuck off out of there. Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. Which is easier said than done, I know, because there are pressures. But just start looking for jobs elsewhere. They'll soon come crawling. There you go. Or or they really didn't value you. And either way, you've won. So there you go. So basically, managers need to up their emotional intelligence. Definitely. And again, if you ain't got a time to be doing that, maybe you need to hire somebody else who can be someone who speaks to staff and managers. Even bringing in someone externally to have that conversation and actually sit down and say, look, we're spending the money to find out what we can do to improve the business. Because... Again, retention is so important to businesses that actually having long-term staff is so valuable because mm-hmm. people's value goes up in time the more experience they get. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot harder to replace someone who's very good at their job. So I know from my me being on the angle of hiring and from the angle of the employee, I think, again, it's the more conversations we have, the better work's going to be for people and actually the better value th- is that the business is going to mm-hmm. get out of that employee. I always say 90% of problems with between people is solved with better communication. Anyway, before I get into more onto so- a, onto a less <laughs> serious uh, <laughs> story. So, <sighs> millennials, millennials, millennials. This, you do you don't we don't have to get a bad rap, right? This is like the caricature millennial. <laughs> this is like yeah you could put a picture in a dictionary i think this is what also by the way i just want to on the millennial front i saw a a public figure i'd never heard of his heard of him before but i'm gonna get on a slight soapbox here i just want to clarify what millennial means right because i saw an influential person they had a blue tick on their twitter right so that means they're influential right had loads of followers they're in showbiz in america somewhere can't remember what they're called but anyway they tweeted out like Something along the lines of uh, millennials need to be educated on what we went through with wireless internet, uh, not wireless internet, dial-up internet and blah, 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 blah. And, and basically the whole of Twitter went, uh, excuse me, mate, but we all remember dial-up internet. Like millennials doesn't mean young people. Yeah. Millennials mean people born between the 80s and 2000. So people aged from 19 to 39, like wind your neck in. (laughs) I just want to point that out because I feel like Generation Z or the iGen, I've heard them being called the iGen and millennials are being lumped together as this basically younger than us uh, thing. And it's not. It's that age group. It's, It's basically the young adults age group now. That is it. So I just wanted to clarify that because... Thanks for clearing up. Millennials gets thrown around a lot, and I think a lot of people don't actually know what it fucking means. So, you just want to clarify. Anyway, so, we millennials getting a bad rap, right? And this is kind of, as you say, the caricature, quintessential, stereotype millennial. Which is why all the newspapers jumped on it. They were like, yes, let's show the world what the average millennial is. Yeah. (laughs) So, basically, there's this 30-year-old guy in America who has been living with his parents for the entirety of his life. And uh, the parents were basically like, you 
you got to go. He's 30 years old just to go. Yeah, you, you kind of need to go. And he's like, no, I don't. <laughs> and they're like, well, well, yeah, you kind of do. And he's like, well, I, 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 I have rights. <laughs> and they're like, well, well, you don't. Uh, you you kind of need to go. And he's like, well, you need to go through the proper process. So they've given him five, <laughs> I love this, eviction notices. Yeah. Five eviction notices. Imagine that, your parent just sliding a letter underneath <laughs> your door and be like... <laughs> You're like... Mum, is that is is that the post or is how comes it signed by a mum and dad? Um, <laughs> Hi, son. There's a letter for you. Yeah, there's a letter for you, and it's literally written by your mum. And you're like, are you kidding, mum? Like, it's not even in an envelope. Yeah, it's not even in an envelope. It's just already opened because you don't do that either. <laughs> so five eviction notices later, still didn't want to leave. Says no, I'm staying put. And his parents are taking him to court. No, took him to court. Took him to court. They took him to court. And, uh, well, they won. They won. <laughs> the son is out of there. And actually, the judge was like, yeah, you got to go now. Like, <laughs> like today. Today. Like, <laughs> get out of there. You've, you've had more than enough notice. They've been trying to get rid of you for ages. They've been offered him money to get out of the house. Just everything. Oh, yeah. They were like, yeah, here's, here's uh, how much was it? Like £1,000 or something. £1,000. £1,000. £1,000. To get him out of that house and be like, go, find a new place. And he still wouldn't go. Um, he's still adamant that it's against you. He wants six months. He said, give me six months. The legal right should be at least six yeah. months to get out. I mean, and he's uh, had 30 years. But. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a serious kind of underlying issue here, right? And there's a there's a, a narrative that's kind of developing of kind of like, actually, is this unusual that 30-year-olds are living with their parents? Which and absolutely not by some of the stats. It's so common like scarily common and actually what i didn't realize because when i was looking at um a potential stories to talk about in these this episode and, and last week is actually i didn't realize because we always go on about the housing crisis in this country but it appears as though in the states it's pretty pretty dire as well mm. it doesn't seem to be much better in the states um because i'm seeing loads of american articles talking about young people not being able to afford a house in America, which shocked me, actually, because I always had the impression that housing in America was... They also get a lot more screwed over on student debt, like... Well, oh, well, that's it, that's, that's true. That's a huge part. Yeah, that's it. true. It's probably the student debt as opposed to the... Yeah, yeah you're probably right. Um, but anyway, so, but here, it's definitely, definitely not uncommon at all. And actually, I think becoming more and more commonplace, but we've talked about this before, right, about how... Um, we need to get used to the idea as a generation that we could very well be renting in a house, particularly if you live in London, in a house share well into your 50s or 60s at the rate it's going, if not for the rest of your life, mm. which is fucking scary as a concept. But this is the alternative, right? This is that if you don't want to rent in a house share and you can't afford your own house, what's the alternative? Well, live with your parents. And, you know, we, <laughs> there's always the jokes about, like, um, the, the dating scene. I'm like, oh, well, he still lives with his, his mum and dad. Hmm. And it's like, well, get used to it because... My, my biggest issue with this is that I just think that a lot of millennials haven't really planned out what their future right. strategy of life is. I think, yeah, you'd go to university and then it's kind of like that's, that part's done. But then you're kind of like 23-ish. And then I think after that, it's kind of like, well... 
it's okay to still be living with mum till about 25, maybe 26. And then after that, it's 27, 28, 29. It's like, yo, you still live at home. And you get to 30 and then it's now, well, that's embarrassing now because now you live at home at 30. Mm. And then after that, it's even more embarrassing and people laugh, holy shit, you're over 30 and you still live at home. And I think the biggest problem here is, I think it's, too, I think it's many things, but I think number one, millennials haven't really because there's a new structure of how you're going to move out of your house it's not mm-hmm. the same you will probably have to rent on that first property mm-hmm. but then then if you're like i think it's okay to stay at i've got so many different thoughts in my head <laughs> i think it's okay to stay at home if you have a strategy of saving in terms of maybe potentially buying which is what i did right um there's another strategy of okay you're happy to rent and you're going to figure out what's my income needed to be to go and actually move out and rent and then the other side of it is actually I think if you showed a millennial at the age of 20 what the consequence of their actions will be if they do say what he maybe has, he's not, I don't know whether he's had jobs or experience or education, and to say, look, unless you put these things in place, by the time you get to 30, you'll probably still have to live at home with your parents. Mm-hmm. And I think there's no conversation about that anymore. No, nowhere along the whole financial learning as a student ever. Oh, I tell you what, the somebody... conversation in my household. Yeah, I was basically told you turn eighteen, we're packing your bags. Yeah, but that's 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 that means you've had that conversation. It seems something that you had to do, and maybe you saw. I don't know when your older sister moved out, and that became probably a. Norm- she moved out about a month before I did. Really? Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. So actually, a lot of people haven't actually been told what they need to do in order to be able to move out and i think that's making a lot of millennials kind of like well they just hope that something's going to come out of it they hope that oh well something will come out once get the right job then i'll probably move out and it just i don't know it never seems like it's the right moment for them to do it and so i i just think with this guy too many parents are making their um it, it too easy for their children as well it is like this guy's never paid rent to his parents this guy has uh Maybe I don't know what job jobs he's had, but it's it's like these people have been so kind of cotton walled that right. actually it's not made them very self reliant. And I was gonna I was gonna bring that up, right? Because is this the fault of the millennial or the parent? I would argue. I it's think the, it's both. I think it's, it's both. But I actually think the onus is more on the parent than it is on the millennial, to be honest. Because of course, if there's no conversation, the millennial, I think, quite rightly. Is is um, uh, not at fault for assuming that everything's going to be fine mm. if if they stay here because there's been, because there's been no conversation. I was always told as soon as you get your own job, you're paying keep. Exactly the same with me. And I was exactly always threatened as soon as you turn eighty. I mean, it wasn't the case. I actually left of my own free will. Um, after my 18th birthday, because by that point there were so many people living in my house because my sister had just had a baby and and it was just mm. crazy. There was just not enough room for us all. So I was like, I'm out of here. Um, but I was always threatened. You turn 18 and my sister as well. You turn 18, you're out of here. Mm. You pack your bags and you go, you go fly the nest. And, um, and that was always something that was always said in jest, but always, but even if it was said in jest, it was kind of like, oh, well, that's something I do need to think about because what if they're being serious? Yeah, that's why I think, I think if you're not kind of making your children or your millennials like responsible and understanding that actually once you become an adult and you have a job and you have some income, then you need to pay into this house that we're providing because then it teaches you how to pay for mm-hmm. rent. It teaches you how to do these things. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you don't do that, then you've trained the millennial to kind of, not have to take responsibility for himself yeah and at the same time then who knows that ambitions are less because there's less like that whole throw your trainers over the fence if there's no risk 
yeah in doing nothing and oh. being lazy then of course you're going to kind of that's kind of default if you've never had to have that motivation yeah i mean believe me if i could deal with it obviously because uh, i've left now and i've would you i think once you've left ho- home you're like i don't want to move back but f- from a purely financial perspective my god if i was if i could live with my parents i would because i'm like i'd be so much better off i'd be like saving so much money and and so if but I that's could, what I'm saying, I would. But that'd be fine because you'd hopefully have that long term. You wouldn't save for the sake of saving. You'd save with a long term ambition, which is like I think I moved out what fucking twenty seven. Mm-hmm. After university, stayed at home for like. And I was three, I was envious that three, you were still able to years. live with it because I yeah. had, obviously had to move to London for my. But in career. that time, I'm paying rent. I'm like helping out with the bills and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm also saving for my mortgage, and so it's kind of like that's productive doing it. And not everybody has that opportunity, yeah. but like if you do make the most of it. If you come out and say, well, I lived at home till I'm 30 Mm -hmm. and you've got nothing to show for it, then I feel like, well, your parents have helped you out in some way and you've not used it efficiently. I'm, I'm totally fine with, with parents helping their kids get onto the property ladder in terms of helping them with the deposit and helping with things like that, that I'm fine with. But there are, there are parents that are just like outright buying houses. And I just don't think that that's, I think if you're if you got the money, you would do it. But I think I would only do it oh, where I, I fully believe that the the child or the adult or the millennial has full understanding and appreciation of what is being done with them. Because there's people that get given the house and they just expect it. Now they and well, they, that's why I'm don't think it's a good idea. But to it's do down that. to again, it's down to attitude. It's like, do you understand the attitude of that person? Have they got a respectful attitude? Will they use the next? Because if that means they're saving their money and they don't have to pay any mortgage. They've got a lot of savings. What are they using that saving for? If it's not productive, then I'd be like, okay, I want you to start paying me back. It's it's down to the parent to be emotionally intelligent enough to say, has my child got got the responsible attitude to actually use their kind of like this, uh, they're lucky enough to have this in a responsible way. If not, then I'd be like, well, then you're fucking your child up more. So, Well, that's, that's what I think. And that's why I don't think it's a good idea because... Because I think the issue with with what we're talking about generally in terms of kids staying at home is the fact that the kids aren't being forced into the kids. realities of life. Yeah, you know, and I feel no. like I feel like if the alternative is to buy your kids a house, um, which I don't think it is the alternative, but let's say that is what the switch in the mind that goes, oh well, I'll buy them a house. I think you're you're basically doing. They may as well just be living at home with you. People, millennials need to read the book Self-Reliance because mm. I think that's important. I think you've got to have it in your heart that you want to become a self-sufficient person. You want yeah. to kind of, your parents shouldn't have to fucking like look after you up to a certain age. They've had like years of that. Why do you think millennials are not having kids? Because you can you haven't even been able to make yourself self-sufficient. Yeah. How the hell can you now do that for your child yourself? So it's kind of like. But here's a question. And this is one thing I wanted to ask, which I had forgotten about at the beginning of the conversation, but I just dropped into my head again. Do you think that a significant part of this is because we as a generation, not just the moddy coddling thing, because I think that is a massive factor, but do you think the other side of the coin is that actually we have lost all morale around building a life for ourselves? I believe so. I believe that definitely plays a large part to do with it. But I mean, it's like what Gary Vee always says. It's like, what's the alternative? What? So the alternative is stay at home with your parents till you fucking work them into the ground. They're still working to keep you alive till they're in their fucking 60s, 70s, and then they die. And you say, oh, well, all I was was a leech on them. I just fucking drained right. them for everything they got. What, you're going to you're gonna be happy with that when they pass away? And you say, fuck me, I didn't really help them out. They didn't get to enjoy their life because they were working their asses off just to sustain me. 
So that's always what I look at and say, yeah, it's not ideal. Yes, rents are high. Yes, it's maybe difficult to get a job. Yes, you've still got student loan to pay. Yes, there's taxes. Yes, they're putting up this and that. But like, the alternative is what? Are you going to just fucking like let it be an excuse? Are you going to fucking do something about it? Like you have to work within the means of how the world is right now. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's a problem, but like we'll do something about it. I agree. And I don't think if you if you really want to give yourself the best chance for the future, I, I don't think the alternative to renting is living with your parents at uh, your parents' house. Because actually, I think you're handicapping yourself because I have so much more life experience now that I have to pay rent. Right. And and moving to London, though, financially challenging and I'm financially so much worse off, like like you couldn't believe so much worse off. But I tell you what, in terms of life skills, miles ahead of where I would be otherwise. No, it's just... Because it stops you, if you're staying with your parents, it stops you from growing up, really, doesn't it? It does. You can't bloody bring a girl back so comfortably. You can't... You become like a man-child. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think anybody wants to be a man... Certainly nobody wants to be with a (laughs) (laughs) man-child. No, unless they're that themselves and then they kind of just want to keep that sort of... I don't know. I just think like you got to fucking grow up at some point. You've got to yeah. take some responsibility. Like if you're safe, you're not growing, you're not pushing yourself. You've got to kind of get out of that sort of comfort zone. I think bloody hell, like, do you really want to fucking live at home for that long? It's yeah. Just... And yeah, I think to clarify, I, I have nothing against anyone living with their parents, mm. nothing at all. But if you're living with your parents just so that you can coast, coast, exactly. Then, yeah. then what, what are you doing? And, then already, I am and there's already articles coming out where people are actively moving back, but they're moving back actually to either start that business they wanted to re- save up for that mortgage mm. or to go on that kind of like dream holiday they've always wanted mm. to do. Like if it's got something kind of productive underneath there, then yeah, it's totally fine. It mm-hmm. is the coasters that seem to be the problem. Yeah. And then maybe they should just get booted out so they can actually stand on their own feet for once. Yeah. Yeah. Bit of tough love there. Bit yeah. of tough love. Cool. That's it for this week. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in as always. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a favorable review on iTunes. Five stars or more would be greatly appreciated. And you can hit us up on Twitter at PN underscore podcast. If you'd like to uh, discuss further any of the things that we've talked about on this episode, or if you prefer a less public forum, you can email us. I'm Wayne at powerfulnonsense.com and he, this guy, is gem at powerfulnonsense.com spelt C-E-M thanks very much for tuning in guys and we will catch you next time see you later